Okay, I'm glad you're here. Um, so I once heard Reb Shlomo say, uh, he asked this question, which has kind of rung in my ears ever since I heard it, which is, he said, who are the people who are alive in this world and, and who are the people who are dead in this world? And we're talking about all of us, everyone who's up and around, walking, quote-unquote alive. So, so already we see there's two categories that you can, as the Talmud says, you can be alive while you're alive, but you could also be dead while you're alive. So what's the, what, what, what is the demarcation? Um, so he said that the, the living people it's, are, are those who are connected. You see, there's a you above and a you below. And the people who are connected to the you above, those people are alive. But if you're not connected to the, the, the higher, more elevated version of you above, these are the people who are dead even while they're alive. So there's a you above and a you below. And that's, that, that, that makes all the difference. Are you connected to the you above? And, um, and this, is, this is continuing our discussion from last week. If you, if you have a chance to, to listen to that talk, um, I called it uh, Healing the, the Mind-Heart Divide. And, and basically, it's going back to this question of how do you stay, how do we stay connected to that, that version of ourselves, which is the higher version of ourselves? How do we stay connected to that? And, you know, it goes back to all of these, all these paradigms that we discussed, which is really the fact that every single person is a miniature of the universe. You have a body and you have a soul. Your soul is made out of heaven. Your body is made out of earth. So each person is, is a miniature universe. As it says in the Talmud, if you save one person, you save the entire world, because each person is a miniature world. So we're going to talk about some practical strategies. I, mean, I want to zero in on a couple of things, but, but we're going to go deeper and, and, and really get to this idea that I'd like to discuss, which is quantum leaps. How do you make this, these quantum leaps? But before you can make a quantum leap, first you have to be a unified being. You can't be at war with yourself. You have to be marshalling all of your resources, your body and soul in, in harmony with each other so that a person can make real progress instead of one step forward, two steps backwards all the time. Or as I heard a, a, a rabbi put it one time, piece of imagery that stayed with me, which is he said, so many people, they're like Ferris wheels, you know? They're, 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 they're going through the same challenges their whole life. They go up in that challenge and then they'll go down and then up and then down and then up and then down. And it's, it has the illusion of progress, but really it's, it's more of a stagnant entity. We want to just keep on going higher and higher and higher and higher, not just round and round and round and round. And as I heard Rabbi Beryl Wein say one time, very astutely, that if you've ever seen a, um, a chart for uh, Wall Street, they're very jagged lines. They go up and down and up and down and up and down, but they go in a certain direction. And that's a more accurate, um, a more accurate depiction or charting out of life, which is they're constant up and downs, but then when you sort of take two steps back, are they generally going up or are they generally going down? You know, that's, that, that's the question. So 
any 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 life doesn't just only go up. That's a that's a that that, that would be a, that would not be real. So so in order to get to that place where where the direction of the chart is up, we really have to have our minds and our hearts, our bodies and our souls working together as a single unit because that's who we are. And of course, this echoes another paradigm. All these things go together, which is the tree of knowledge and the tree of life. Tree of knowledge is, you know something? It's I'm hearing it all, I'm learning, I'm showing up, I'm, I'm being very diligent, but you know what? The whole thing is just saying in my head. None of it is reaching my heart. Unless it reaches our heart, then we're not, we're not, we're not going anywhere. And, you know, again, Reb Shlomo said so beautifully and so incisively that the people who are walking around and they seem to be so indifferent or even antagonistic, well, what's the story with them? And he said, you know, it's very simple. They just were never, they've never been touched. You know, they, they, that, that moment where the person's heart has been opened and, and the words have gone into the heart, that, that hasn't happened yet. For whatever reason. For whatever reason. See, it's very important to understand this because we, we live in a, um, a very democratic society and a very pluralistic society and, and there are tremendous, tremendous, tremendous blessings that have come from that. But one of the things that kind of gets lost or can get lost, unless you, you really you know, think very, very deeply, is the concept of, of an actual truth in the world. We know scientifically, we embrace scientifically the idea that, you know, you'll never go into a math class where, where you say, you say five plus three equals eight, and you say 5 plus 3 equals 20, and you say 5 plus 3 equals negative 2, you're all right. It's all just how you look at it. Everyone's right. No one says that about math. But when it comes to truth, it's like there's a God, there's not a God, there may be a God. (laughs) It would be nice if there were a God. Everybody's right. It's either true or it's not true. You know, I'll give you a very extreme version of this. Um... One of my rabbis once said, if it said, if I knew it was God's will that I should be in a bowling alley 24-7, you know what I would be doing? Bowling. So I'd be doing all day, bowling. <laughs> if I knew that that's what, if that's what God wants, that's what I'm doing. So, so the idea is that it's either true or it's not true. So we've discussed many times why it is true, and it certainly is true that there is a God. When 10,000 billion percent there's a God. But the mistake that many people make is that people think that something is true to the extent that I believe that it's true. It's true whether you believe it or not. But then comes the next step where you can live harmoniously people with people who don't agree with you without surrendering the truth yourself. For you to keep the truth solidly in mind and yet live in a, in a beautiful way with other people who don't recognize that that's what's going on. 
but also to understand that to the extent that you believe it, God doesn't exist to the extent that you believe in him. We have to kind of break that kind of like notion, right? Because we want to live in truth. We want to live in truth. That's, that's, that's very important. And again, there will always be ups and downs within that. Okay. So, so let's go further. We want to know in a practical way how it can be that we can live as integrated entities, right? Body and soul, mind and heart, heaven and earth. How does it all work together? And I just want to key in on, on, on two things that I, that I think are, are, are really cool, okay? Um, and that's basically Shabbos, keeping Shabbos, and studying Torah. These are two, and I'm going to go into each one of them. Um, these are the, probably the two greatest tools for integration. And let's talk about Shabbos for a moment, okay? So, so if you look at the, the, what was created on each of the initial days of creation, and I'll just say as a side point, it, it's been pointed out that it's very Darwinian, which is very interesting, because you have the most elemental species, and then on each day, more and more complicated species are created. So... Now we're looking, not that we're looking for proofs for Darwin in the Torah, but you see a very interesting parallel between those two. And you see that the last creation on the sixth day before Shabbos is man, not mankind, but this, the male species. And it's going up and up because creation is getting more and more evolved. So you have man is created, and then woman is created, which shows you that woman is a more evolved species than man. And that's certainly consistent with Torah thought, that especially when it comes to spiritual intuition, that that's the case. But then there's one more creation after woman is created, and that's Shabbos. Shabbos is created, and that's the crown of creation. By the way, you'll see... Shabbos is referred to by two names in the Torah. One is Shabbat, right? And the other is Yom HaShvi'i, which means the seventh day. And I heard Reb Shlomo say that Yom HaShvi'i is actually a, the higher name for Shabbos, because Yom HaShvi'i means it's the seventh day, meaning it's the crown of creation, as opposed to it just has another name. In other words, you have the six days, that's one thing. You have Shabbat, that's something else. And you've got two different things. No, 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 no. Yom HaShvi'i is talking about Shabbos as the crown and the culmination of the first six days of the week, not as a separate idea from the six days of the week. It's very important because what we're talking about right now is about how we can be integrated. And I'm telling you, Shabbat integrates us. So, so we know that the first six days of the week this is, sort of, sort of, so to speak, that God created the, the body of the world, if you will. He created the material aspects of the world. And Shabbos, what God did was he put a soul into, the, into creation. Right? And remember, each one of us is a miniature of the universe. So on Shabbos, we get our souls back. 
or, we, or our souls become revitalized. We get something called a neshami yasera. See, that means people um, translate that as an extra soul. And we have to understand that in a more sophisticated way. I'll give you the way uh, Rashi says it. Some people think that a neshama yasera is you have one soul and then somehow, spiritually speaking, however it works, you get a second soul. This is not the case. This is, this is at least not as Rashi understands it. What happens is, is that a neshama yasera, an, an extra soul, means that the soul that you have, your one soul, becomes expanded and more powerful and you are able to integrate the spiritual in a physic- and the physical in a way that you're not able to do during the week, normally speaking. See, because on Shabbos, you're supposed to actually really, like, really have a great time. You know, like, I remember when I, when I started keeping Shabbos, there are many laws of, you know, involved in keeping Shabbos. And I remember, you know, it's sort of like, well, I can't do this, and I can't do that, and I can't do this, and I can't do that, and I can't do this. And then all of a sudden I realized, wait a second, I get to do nothing. <laughs> That's fantastic. I would love to do nothing. And the joke is, is that anyone who's actually involved in an active community knows that, you know, it's like doing nothing is like, it takes a lot, and you're busy the entire time. You're busy for 25 hours, basically. You know, there's lunches and dinners and there's dancing and there's singing and there's eating and there's drinking. And it's a time for, for incredible closeness between husband and wife. I mean, the, the, whole, the whole day is chock full of, of uh, activity. It's, um, it's funny because as, as someone who writes for television, one of the classic shows is, uh, is Seinfeld. And, and, and the... the Kind of like they did a, a very famous episode where where they they talked about how it was a show about nothing. That was a, like a very famous phrase, a show about nothing. But if you ever try to write a Seinfeld episode, it's one of the most complicated <laughs> story structures on television. You've got three or four separate storylines that all have to interconnect and combine at the end. It's like Einsteinian story math that you have to like work out. And so anyone who had to write one of these things, it's sort of like, yeah, it's a, it's a show about nothing. Yeah, try writing one, you know? So, so, so on the one hand, it's sort of like Shabbos is this, is this very, you know, mysterious entity. Because on the one hand, you get to do nothing, and yet you're running around, you're, you're busy. You're, you're really, you know, you're doing a lot. It's great. And, and you're able to do all of these all this extra eating and, 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 and all the rest, which are normally saying physical pleasures, which would, you know, in a normal construct, be less spiritual because you're being more physical, you're able to do it because of this neshama yasera, because your soul is given more power and you can integrate the body and the soul better. That's Rashi. That's what, that's what Rashi says. Now, let's look at it from another perspective. Because I want to talk about candle lighting. And I've never heard this, this, this description given before. Maybe other people have said it, but, but, but uh, it came to me. Um, 
which is candlelighting is this fascinating, fascinating mitzvah. Now, keep in mind that um, candlelighting is actually a mitzvah for women and men. Like, um, it has a reputation, understandably, for being uh, a very special mitzvah for women. But, technically speaking, Shabbos candles go by the home. In other words, the home has to have Shabbos candles. Which means if there's an unmarried man, he has a mitzvah to light Shabbos candles. And if you're married and your wife is out of town and you're in the house, you have a mitzvah to light Shabbos candles. So I'm I'm saying that so that you should understand the universality of this mitzvah. And it's there are more details and you can ask a rabbi about if you have specific questions about it. But that's the general idea. I just want you to know Shabbos candles are for men and women. Or I should say women and men. Okay. Having said that, let's Let's, let's take a step back and look at the first six days of creation and the seventh day of creation again, right? The first six days of the week and Shabbos, which we said was the last thing to be created. Now, I heard Rabbi Wine say this, and it's, it's uh, very important to understand. If you imagine you have a carpet and you roll out this carpet, that's the first six days of creation. Meaning to say that the first six days of creation are made out of one type of cloth, one type of time, space, material. But Shabbos is a new creation. It's made out of something completely different. That's, that's, that's interesting. That's interesting. Because Shabbos is is much more spiritual than the days of the week. And remember, on a deeper level, when we're looking at the first six days of creation and then Shabbos, the seventh day of creation, the Ramban and others talk about that as the first 6,000 years of creation and then the Shabbos represents the Messianic period, meaning to say the culmination and that quantum leap we referred to earlier, that quantum leap that happens in the next era of creation, which was again implanted in creation from the very, very start. Right? You know, one of the cool things is before, before, the, before the first day of creation, it was all Shabbos. <laughs> right? So... It's like God just channeled Shabbos into the world, but it, you know, it's from before the world. It's, it's, that's a very sort of mind-bending thought. And the Messianic period, the rabbis call it Yom Shekulo Shabbos, the day that will be all Shabbos. So you see that the seventh day, Shabbos, represents something more than, than just another day of the week. It's a, it's a different time-space creation, and it represents the final fixing of all of humanity and the destiny of all of humanity. And it's a day when you and I can achieve full integration between our bodies and our souls. The six days of the week, that's our body, and Shabbos, that's our soul. And when we keep Shabbos, it all comes together. 
Okay, but I want to talk about candlelighting still. But let me just give you um, one more piece of imagery. If you have a cube, right? A cube has six sides. Like if you think of like dice, right? It, the highest number is six because there's six sides, right? But, but you ready for this? There's a seventh side to the cube. Where's the seventh side? The inside of the cube. That's Shabbos. <laughs> That's your soul. There's the outside of you, but then there's the inside of you. That's the seventh side, right? See, when you shake the lulav and the esrig, you shake it in six directions. But what are you doing? You're always after shaking in each direction, you bring it back to your heart. Because you're taking all of that light from the outside and you're putting it into the seventh direction, which is your soul, which is inside you. So that you should be able to receive from every single angle. Okay, so now let's think of it um, in a linear way again. You've got this group of six, and then you've got the seventh. So imagine that. You've got a longer line, that's six, and then a little break, and then a shorter line, that's the seventh. So the amazing thing is like right in that little space between the sixth day and the seventh day, right in that little space there, that's when we light candles. Now, think of it in a industrial way right now, okay? Like, you know how they have those iron masks and then they slide the the mask over the person's face and then they fire up the flamethrower and they solder two pieces of metal together, right? That's what Shabbos candles are. It's taking the sixth day of the week because it's you do it right in that little tiny separation. It's only a few minutes that it lasts where you're basically taking this laser nuclear light and you're soldering together the six days of the week and the seventh day of the week. You're putting it all together so that Shabbos can go from the name Shabbos to the name of Yom HaShvi'i. It can go from something separate to the crown of creation, to the purpose of what you were doing the first six days of the week altogether, to the crown of everything. So you see, and that's why I was emphasizing so much that that is for men and women, the Shabbos candles, because all of us are doing that, okay? Now I want to tell you something. It says that in the Talmud, Talmud is talking about this already, that food tastes better on Shabbos, okay? So why? And the answer is because Shabbos actually is a spice for the food. It's a very interesting idea because Shabbos is just this time-space construct. And yet we say that it actually gets into our bodies, right? It's expanding our souls, integrating our bodies and our souls. That's the Neshami Yaseira. But it's actually making the food taste different. So... There were some people, some holy people. I think this is in the Talmud, but may also be just in uh, Jewish history. It's a famous story. Um, and uh, 
And they decided to do an experiment because they were told the reason why the food tastes better is because of Shabbos. So they said, you know what? We're going to make the exact, we're going to see if this is true. We're going to make the exact same meal in the middle of the week and we're going to see how it tastes. And they, they did it and it tasted the same. <laughs> why did it taste the same? Because their rabbi was there. <laughs> And why did that make a difference? Because if someone is a Talmud Chacham, which means if someone is a Torah scholar, they're able to carry their Neshama Yasera, their extra expanded soul throughout the entire week. So this is now part two. I told you that I'm going to give you practical information of how you can be a more integrated person. And I told you Shabbos is, is one way. And learning Torah is the other way. Because when you learn Torah, what happens is you're able to access that light all week long. Now I'm going to give you an example of this. An amazing example. Which is, and the B'nai Yisachar brings this, Remember, when, when it says Vayahi Or in the Torah, which means famously, let there be light. So people who, you know, don't know so much think that they're talking about God created the sun. So, but that's not what it means. Vayahi Or is talking about what we call the Or Haganuz. The great initial light, was, which is millions of times greater than the sun. This light was then hidden, hidden away until the final days. Right? This is the ultimate light that will return, but it was the first light that was created. That was the Vayihi Or. So the B'nai Saskar points out that if you look at the words Esha Or, which means the light, it's talking about right there, these are the words that the Torah uses, if you take the gematria of the words esha or, it adds up to 613. Which, of course, is the number of commandments in the Torah, the number of mitzvah. So the question is, where did God put that initial light? Where did he hide it away? Esha or, 613, into the Torah. He put that initial light into the Torah. That's where it's hidden. So if you want that neshamiya seirah, if you want that extra soul power so that you can integrate body and soul, heaven and earth, the six days of the week in Shabbos, all of the time, the answer is you study Torah because you can access that initial light. You don't just have to wait for Shabbos. And this is a light that's even higher than Shabbos. Now I want to give you one more piece of imagery and then we're going to go even further in. This idea of integrating the six days of the week and the seventh day of the week. Okay? So, you know, when we talk about the spherot, there are ten spherot, and basically what the spherot are is this is an x-ray. If you were to take an x-ray of the universe, like if you wanted to have a map of the universe, in terms of this world and all of the spiritual realms, and you wanted one snapshot of it, 
an x-ray of it, that's the ten sphera. Okay? So, so the upper three sphera is, these are very, very high, and often we don't even talk about them, because they're beyond. So that leaves us with the bottom seven. Now, the, the, the very last one, all the way on the bottom, that stands for this dimension. That's called Malchus. That means basically this dimension that we're in right now. And then you have the above six. So you can think of that as heaven and earth, if you like. That, that wouldn't be incorrect. But do you hear? You have six and one. Does that sound like the days of the week in Shabbos? <laughs> And what we're trying to do, we're now putting it in Kabbalistic language, but what we're trying to do, this whole kind of journey that we're all on, is we're, it's all about integrating heaven and earth. That, that's what we're talking about. But because each person is a microcosm of heaven and earth, it means integrating your own body and soul. To the extent that you can integrate your body and soul, you are performing a tremendous fixing on the entire universe in terms of bringing heaven and earth closer. You know, it says when the whole Jewish people keep Shabbos, then then that's it. That will be the fixing of everything. So seen in these terms, as we're discussing it right now, that makes perfect sense. Like you would say, why Shabbos? Why not Shemitah? Why not um, any other mitzvah? Because you see here, heaven and earth, the whole thing is the six days and the, and the seventh day. The heaven and earth. I, the bottom sphere and the six above it. You see, everything comes together. It all comes together with Shabbos. And by the way, just again, just to get super practical... Anyone who's listening to this, Shabbos is not like, like there's some people who I've, I've been asked over the years, and many people have been asked this question when they hear that you keep Shabbos. So they say, so do you sit alone in your house in a dark room and not tear, tear, and not tear toilet paper? <laughs> like that's what some people think Shabbos is. <laughs> Shabbos... Shabbos, if you really want to keep Shabbos, I mean, you can keep it on a technical basis by yourself. But if you actually really want to know what it is, what we're talking about, it's as, as I like to say, it's a team sport. You, you have to be in a community. You have to be. You have to be. So, so I only bring that up because otherwise you won't, You'll say, wow, this is so interesting. I want to do this. And then you, you try doing it all by yourself and go, now I no longer want to do this. <laughs> well, that's because you, you didn't really fully experience. And, and I know for myself, again, just on a very practical level, you know, I remember there, like when I was in college especially, there were all sorts of bands, right? You have kind of like the the top 40 type music, the, the music that you hear on the radio. And those are very sort of catchy songs. You, you, you can hear it the first time, and it can be your new favorite song the first time you hear it. But then there's, there was the sort of the cool bands, right? Like back in my day, like it was like, you know, the talking heads, like band, bands like that. 
And, you know, their new album would come out and everyone would rave about it, like album after album. It's like each album was like the new greatest album ever. But the first time you listen to it, or at least I would listen to it, it's like, oh, this is hard to listen to. I, I don't get it. But then by the fifth or the sixth time you listen to it, you were like, wow, I love this. This is amazing. But part of its greatness lies in the fact that it's a new rhythm. And you have to get used to the new rhythm. And that's like Shabbos. Shabbos is a new rhythm. It's a new pattern of behavior. And it takes a while to to dance with it, basically. To learn the to learn the dance of it. But then once you learn the dance of it, you're like, wow, this is fantastic. I love this. But the first few times, all you're doing is butting up against the, the not knowing and the lack of familiarity. But once it becomes familiar, then you realize, wow, okay. You understand why one of the sort of like, uh, I, don't, I don't have a source for this, but one of the great sayings is that more than the Jewish people have kept Shabbos, Shabbos has kept the Jewish people. And and, so and yeah, so yeah, and Shabbos has saved many marriages. By the way, it saved many marriages too, because um, you know it's possible to get too busy for each other. You're just too busy, and you're not doing it on purpose. But you have this meeting and that meeting and this meeting and that meeting, and I have to run here and I have to run there, and Shabbos is something that that brings you together in the deepest way. So, it's, and it, and it, and it saves families, too. Because everyone sits, sits around together. And especially in this day and age where there's this tyranny of cell phones, where just eyes remain glued on screens, it's, um, there's no screens. It's incredible. It's incredible. It's funny, I gave a talk about 10 years ago to this group of kids from England. And uh, I was talking about Shabbos. And, you know, it was very nice that this one of the girls who was there said this, and I'm happy she said it. She, she was kind of sitting in the back, and she raised her hand, and she said, with all due respect, what you're saying doesn't apply to my generation. You know, and I said it applies more to your generation than any other generation that we've had in in the longest time. You need it more than anyone. This really this slavery of of of, of staring at screens, and I I'm guilty of it myself. Believe me, I'm I know from my own. Uh, My own life, you know. Okay. So again, let's just review and then I want to go deeper. So, so we're talking about how important it is. If, if you, every single person is a miniature of the universe. And if you want to forward the destiny of creation which is an integrated whole that takes this quantum leap at the end. You have to be an integrated person yourself. 
You have to bring your body and your soul together yourself. Your mind and your heart together itself. The heaven and earth that's inside you together itself. And we went over uh, the, 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 the two main ways of doing this is Shabbos and Torah. This is, this is how we do it. Okay. Now, the Torah itself and the world itself, you see this in science as well, everything is worlds within worlds within worlds within worlds. Very amazing. Just everything is worlds within worlds within worlds within worlds. I mean, just think of it like, think of Avraham, right? Avraham and Sarah. This is the first couple. Can you imagine all of us are just worlds within worlds within worlds within worlds of Avraham and Sarah? <laughs> like, or if you think of all of humanity, we're just worlds within worlds within worlds of Adam Harishon? It's, it's kind of mind-boggling. So the Zohar basically says that the entire Torah is contained within the word Breshis, the first word of the Torah. That's amazing. That's amazing. So, you see, the Torah, the Zohar also says, that the Torah is a blueprint of creation. Which means that when you get to the end of the Torah, you've kind of gotten to the end of creation. Right? On some level, it's also a timeline. Now, I want to add, for me, a new thought, which is seen in that context isn't it interesting, since we know the destiny of creation, as we said before, is to take a quantum leap up, right? Right? What the six days of the week are to Shabbos, it's this quantum leap up. Shabbos is a separate creation, right? So now let's look at the end of the Torah. What does the end of the Torah actually say? It's one of the most fascinating things. You have to look at the Rashi to see it, otherwise you won't see it. It talks about the very last line of the Torah. It talks about the wondrous thing that Moshe did before the eyes of all of Israel. Well, if you read the Torah, there's a lot of wonders. There's a lot of miracles. But Rashi is very clear. No, it's just talking about one miracle. God is just talking about one miracle at the end of the Torah there. You know what he's talking about? The smashing of the luchos, the smashing of the tablets. In other words, whatever you thought creation was, a whole new creation is coming out of this creation. (laughs) The end of the Torah, whatever you thought it was, gets smashed and an entire new thing opens up. You know, again, it's getting more Kabbalistic. But the rabbis bring down that these 613 commandments, that there's actually a thousand commandments. What we have just in this realm is 613 of them. And of course, they're all internally consistent. We're only talking about one God, the God of Israel. We're only talking about one truth. 
everything is consistent with what we know right now, but there's another quantum level of understanding within that that we're going to have access to. Let's put it into another way. So, and that's, that's my thought. This is also my thought. We're saying that the Zohar says that the whole Torah is contained within the word Vreshis. Vreshis is the first word of the Torah, and that means, right, creation. Now we have a system in Torah. This is in Gemur Shabbos on page Kufdalet, if you want to find it. It's called Atbash. Atbash is a system of, remember, the Torah is the infinite compressed into the finite. God's infinite light compressed into a book, if you will. But the Torah is not a book. The Torah is the entire universe. It just also exists in book form. That's the, user, the, user, the user's guide to the universe. But anyone who thinks that the Torah is just a book has no idea of what we're saying the Torah is. There's no concept. It's beyond, 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 beyond. God made the entire, the, the Torah existed before the world was created. God made the entire world out of the Torah. So how could it be just such a thin book at the same time? So the answer is God took his infinite light and compacted it into the finite. <laughs> Which means that if you really want to understand what's going on in the Torah, you have to unpack and unpack and unpack and unpack. And the rabbis have given us certain tools of how to mine the Torah for all the levels that are contained in the Torah. So I already mentioned one, that's gematria. I showed you how esaor means 613, because the, the Torah, in addition to its other levels, is also operating on a mathematical level, right? It's also written in the language of math. It's an amazing thing. But... There's another way of unpacking the Torah. It's a system that's called Atbash. What so, is the word? Atbash. Base Shin. So what is Atbash? And again, that's in Mesekta Shabbos Kufdalet, which is in Atbash, by the way, but I'll tell you what Atbash is. It's when you make, when you exchange letters so if there's an aleph, which is the first letter of the alphabet, right? You turn it into a tuf, which is the last letter of the alphabet. That's the at. Bash, bez is the second letter of the alphabet. You turn it into the second to last letter of the alphabet. That's bash, at bash. So the name itself is telling you how to do it. Okay. And of course you take the third letter of the alphabet and turn it to the third to last letter of the alphabet. The fourth letter of the alphabet is Dalit. You turn it into the letter Kuf, which is the fourth to last letter of the alphabet, which is what I just told you. The Where is Atbash written in the Gomorrah? On page Kuf Dalit, which is in Atbash. You exchange Kuf for Dalit. <laughs> That's where I realized that while I was driving down the street one time. I almost crashed into a wall. I was like, what? <laughs> so that's Atbash, Okay. Now, Atbash is very, very deep. What's the philosophy behind it? Sounds like just a game that we're playing, 
right? So, but there's a very, very deep, very profound philosophy behind it. So I saw Rabbi Moshe Shapiro, Oliver Shalom, explained it. He says, look, you see, before we get into the technical language of it, let me give you the, the, the idea, okay? Imagine, um, imagine I'm giving you directions to a place, okay? So I tell you, take the 405, and then take the 10, and then get off at this exit, and then take a right, and then go two miles, and then turn at this street, until I actually tell you the name of the street and the number of the house, which I'm going to tell you at the end, until you hear that, you don't know where you're going. Do you understand? So the whole thing has to be spoken out or I'm going to use now more technical, fancy language, the whole concept has to be revealed before you can understand what it is. And then, another fancy word, and then once it's completely revealed, perception kicks in. You can now perceive what exists, what's been revealed. Okay? I'll give you another example. If I'm giving you, you say, wow, I'm, I'm going to give you a recipe. You're going to love this dish. You're going to love this dish. Until I give you the last ingredient, you, don't, you can't make it. You don't have it yet. Once you have the last ingredient, you're going to be able to taste it. So once the whole thing has been revealed, you will be able to perceive what it is that that is. Okay. So now let's go back to this idea from the Zohar, that the entire Torah is, 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 is contained in the word breishis, the word creation, the first word of the Torah. Okay? So breishis means creation. So what is, until we get, remember we were just talking a little while ago about the very end of the Torah, that's talking about the smashing of the luchos. And then a great thing is going to be revealed, Right? Let's talk about the journey through the word breishis, just the word itself. The very last letter of breishis is the letter tough, which is interesting because that's the last letter of the alphabet. So in other words, when you get to the end of creation, you're getting to the end. You understand? To the letter tough. That's the end. Especially since it says, again, on the mystical level, that God created the world through the letters. So when you get to the last letter of Breshis, the letter Tav, which is the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet, you've gotten to the end. Now what's so interesting is, what is the Atbash of the letter Tav? Tav turns into Aleph. Aleph is the number one. Aleph stands for God. In other words, when you get to the end of creation, <laughs> when you finally figure out what it is God has been doing this entire time, you get to the tough, you get to the end, all of a sudden the tough turns into an olive, and the oneness of God becomes revealed. Remember, the letter olive, we're always saying it, is composed of three letters. Two yuds and a vav which adds up to 26, which is Yudke Vavke, God's holiest name. So you see, when you get to the tough, 
If you hold on to the end, the Aleph becomes revealed. Amazing. In other words, and what happens when the oneness of God becomes revealed? This enormous quantum leap takes place. Which again, has been built into creation from the very, very beginning. Because you want me to tell you something mind-blowing? Before the first, you see, the Torah, and the Ramban talks about this in the beginning of his, in his introduction to Chumash, to the Torah. The Torah itself, remember I told you the Zohar says it's a blueprint. It really is a blueprint. Because as the Ramban writes, it's black fire on white fire. Yeah, in his introduction to Chumash, but I'm sure it's an older thought than the Ramban. Black fire on white fire, which means that when you look in a Torah scroll, you're not just looking at ink on parchment. It's black fire on white fire. In other words, the the parchment, so to speak, quote-unquote, is as or more important than the writing itself. The white space... The white fire, okay, so what does black fire and white fire mean so that we're communicating here? Black fire, just like you can see the letters, represents the revealed aspects of creation. So that means when I look at the wall, I see a wall. When I look at the book, I see a book. When I look at you, I see a face. That's the black fire. These are the revealed aspects of creation, what you can see with your eyes. Because when you look at a Torah scroll, you can see the letters. Right? These are the parts of the world, the material parts of the world. Okay, very good. But what's the white fire? The white fire are the spiritual realms that surround us. They're there, but you can't see them. <laughs> They're there, but it's a little bit beyond. That's the letter. Of, that's the level of white fire. Okay, so before the Bayes, before the, the first letter of the Torah is the, the, the letter Bayes, which is the second letter of Breshit, right? So I want to say like this, that before the black fire Bayes of Breshit, the first letter of the Torah, before that, there's a white fire Aleph, <laughs> Because before the world was created, God already existed. (laughs) All right, now I want to go deeper. (laughs) I want to bring this all back to you and me. Okay? And we'll finish up with this idea. Oh, now I see what you said. So. So the Aleph. is the name of Hashem. Hashem is this infinite light. Yeah. Right? That you yeah. don't see. Yeah. And that's right. the missing out of that we don't see. Yeah. Yeah. But it's the what we're all engulfed in. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So okay. So let's let's bring it down home to you and me. Okay? So So all of us, our tradition is, all of us, every Jew is a letter in the Torah. 
Okay. We say that there's 600, our tradition is that there's 600,000 letters in the Torah, and there's 600 souls of Israel. 600,000, I'm sorry, 600,000 letters in the Torah and 600,000 souls of Israel. Okay, so how does that work? Since we know that over the thousands of years, there's more than 600,000. Even when this was, even when we left Egypt, there was more than 600,000. So think of each letter as like, picture in your mind a tree. Okay? Each letter is a tree. So there are many people who have the same letter. Many people belong to that same tree. And that tree is growing not just up, it's growing through the generations, through time. And it has all sorts of branches. And so I'm a branch from that tree, which I can trace back to that letter. And over the thousands of years, there are different branches, different people have shared that same letter with me. Okay? Wouldn't it be interesting to meet all the people who are in your tree from that same letter? That would be fascinating. I wonder if we would get along. I would imagine, I never saw two branches on a tree fight, so I imagine we would. (laughs) Yeah. Like, but imagine what a Amazing conversation. Like, can you imagine sitting at a Shabbos table with just the only people there are the letters and and from different periods in history? Right? You could talk with your letter from a thousand years ago or two thousand years ago or five hundred years ago? I mean, imagine what that conversation would be. So, So each one of us is a letter. Now, Remember, you can say the most wonderful thought in the world, but if it doesn't, it, if, it, if it's not in sync with halacha, with Jewish law, it's incorrect. Has to, all of these thoughts have to be working on every single level, including halacha, right? And remember, halacha is translated as Jewish law, which is not inaccurate. It's just a sad translation. <laughs> and what, what, I mean, what I mean by that, because it's sort, of, it's, it's sort of like wielding this axe when, when, a, when, when, when that's not the context of the, of the relationship. When the, when the relationship is a romance, you don't show up on a date with a baseball bat. <laughs> Halacha actually means the way. Because it has the word holech, which means to walk. It's like a path. In other words, if you want to journey harmoniously, peacefully through life, through creation, this is the path. This is the way. That, that's, 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 it's a, in, in today's terms, it would be a much more Eastern kind of flavored understanding of what halacha is. But it's actually a much more accurate translation. Law is like, it's my way or the highway. Right? But the path, the way, the flow, this is, this is what it is. It's a beautiful word in Hebrew. Yeah. And it really captures 
sense. Yes. Yes. So, so now, if each one of us is a letter, I want to tell you some halacha about the letters in the Torah. And we're going to understand white fire and black fire as it relates to our lives and us individually. Okay? So, if two, first of all, if a letter is missing in the Torah, and there's 600,000 letters, if one letter is missing, the entire Sefer Torah, Torah scroll is not kosher. You're not allowed to read from it. Okay. So that means if one of us is missing, the whole world is not complete. Okay? Okay, let's get even more technical. If two letters are touching, the Torah scroll is not kosher. Very interesting. Now, again, on a super practical level, you know, like we brought up Seinfeld before they did a, an episode about close talkers. These are people who like get too much, too close to your face when they're having a conversation with you. <laughs> Don't do that. Everyone needs their personal space. <laughs> so if two letters are touching, <laughs> they're too close, <laughs> it's no good. That's That's... But I'm, I'm being a little humorous, but also a little bit serious. If two letters are touching, it's no good. Which means what? By extension, another way of saying if two letters are touching, it's no good. Let's, let's phrase that a different way, and this will give us a portal to go even deeper. That means that every single letter, which is black fire, has to be completely surrounded by white fire in order to be kosher. Now, if each one of us is a letter, that means that each one of us is surrounded by white fire. <laughs> now, what did we just say white fire means? White fire means the spiritual realms. The spiritual realms that are there, but we can't fully grasp them. You see, if you want to be integrated... One of the things, and one of the hardest things to merge, is these two aspects of knowing and not knowing. Not knowing is part of the design of creation. Because every person must be surrounded by white fire, which means it's beyond you. In order for you to be complete, there has to be an aspect to you which is beyond you. And now we're getting back to what we opened with. The idea of who are the people who are alive in this world, as Reb Shlomo said so beautifully, those people who are connected to the version of themselves above. You have to be connected to the you above. Or, to put it in the terms that we're discussing right now, your black fire has to be connected to your white fire. Your white fire is already there, by the way. You just have to be open to it. But white fire, again, represents those aspects of creation which are beyond you. Which means part of being a human being, part of existing, is realizing that you're never fully going to understand. And to be at peace with that. 
In other words, to understand that part of what it means to be alive is to be part of a mystery and to embrace and celebrate that. (laughs) See, there are people who say, you know something, you want me to do that? Unless I fully understand it, I'm not doing that. But these people are separating themselves out from their, from their white fire. They want to be black fire, but without the white fire. But you know something? You're not, you're not kosher. You're not complete unless you're black fire surrounded by white fire. And of course, a person can is supposed to know more and more and more and more and more and more and more over the course of the lifetime. And to extend the imagery of a letter, one of the beautiful things about Torah letters is that they have crowns to them. Right? What do we say that that the seventh day Shabbos is, is the crown of the week? And then they have certain lines on top. They're called tagin. They're these like beautiful lines like um, if you think of a crown, like they have like, you know, like they project upward in like lines from a crown. The letters have lines. And some letters have no lines. Some letters have three lines. Some letters have seven lines. So those are almost like antenna. <laughs> in other words, as you know more and more, you reach higher and higher. and You're able to pick up more and more signals. You know, I, I, one of the rabbis who uh, taught me so much, I, I, I visited him in, in Jerusalem one time, and this is back in the days of AM and FM. Now, you don't talk about AM and FM so much, but FM meant you're really getting good reception. And he had long payas, and he, sh- he, sh- he held up his payas to me, and he said, this is so I can pick up the FM. Right? <laughs> that was Gedaya Gerfein. So, so the tagging these lines on top of the letters, right? Like you journey upward within your letter. You pick up more and more. But still there's that white fire. There's still that white fire. And as I love to quote in the name of the Katskaredi, who said so magnificently, I would never serve a God I understood. (laughs) And my understanding of that is because if you completely understand God, then you're equal to God. So then what do you need God for? In other words, one of the conditions of God being God is that you don't understand Him, is that you can't understand Him. Otherwise, how is God God? So that requires us to be appropriately humble. Not humble like, oh, I'm so humble. No. Humble like real. (laughs) Like, no, that's... You know, it's, it's funny, like, I was, I remember one time, ah, that's a long story, I don't have to go into it. But there's some people who are humble, and there's some people who just recognize reality. <laughs> we need a reality check. The world calls that humility, but it's actually just reality. <laughs> 